Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR. You're listening in on 8.55am, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. My name is Lauren and from the Brainwaves team today we have Rebecca. Last week it was World Bipolar Day on Thursday on March the 30th. The vision of World Bipolar Day is to bring world awareness to bipolar conditions and eliminate social stigma. Today we will be talking to Nikki Wall, the director of This Is My Reality. Hi Nikki, thank you for coming on the show today. Could you just give us a little bit of an introduction as to who you are? Well, my name's Nikki Wall and um, I head up This Is My Reality, which is a new business. Um, I go out as a guest speaker about lived experience with mental illness, um, provide peer advocacy, peer support, a variety of other things, counselling. And I have lived experience of bipolar. Thank you for that. So just jumping straight into it, what were your mental health experiences during the period between the onset of your symptoms and diagnosis of bipolar? Oh, wow. My first recollection of a suicidal depression was 14. Um, But I've been told um, I I was sexually abused at seven years of age and the day after they found me hiding down behind a bush with a handful of medication ready to take it knowing what to do to take my own life and that scares me that a seven-year-old would Mm. know that Mm. and it's more common than we think Um, so my main my first recollection was uh, 14 years of age of a very deep depression and I sort of cycled lightly mainly in depression until I was um 23 and then I evolved into mixed states and um, mania but I wasn't diagnosed until I was 35 21 years after my first major suicidal depression Mm. and what was your reaction to being diagnosed then oh relief (laughs) absolute relief finally there was something for me to work with although it wasn't easy because Here's your diagnosis. Here's your script. See you later. Come back in two weeks and we'll catch up. Mm. So I felt really isolated um, and I I went about educating myself and connecting with online forums like Fire and Ice. And through that, I learnt a lot from lived experience peers. That first-hand insight is invaluable. Mm. in what ways did the correct diagnosis help your symptoms, like help to manage your symptoms? It evened me out fairly well, um, made life a hell of a lot better for my family. <laughs> um, they know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, and because I was, um, I was truly not a nice person when I was unwell. Um, yeah, I have to say that Even though it evened me out fairly well, if you take the stable line, some people call it normal, there's no such thing, the stable line, I always travelled at 
below stable in slightly depressive side of things Mm -hmm. until recently, uh, two years ago, I came across a a new medication which has made a world of difference. So the management of it uh, along with strategies and and coping techniques and things like that, a lot of learning, self-learning has has been uh, the catalyst for for change and management. Mm -hmm. Mm. And could you describe for our listeners who might not Um, experience or have experienced some sort of bipolar condition what it's like to be hypermanic or manic oh hypermania I love hypermania (laughs) you're euphoric you've got all this energy nothing's a problem uh, wealth of ideas motivated driven um probably not that you want to hear being young people the sex drive goes through the roof which is always appreciated by the other half (laughs) Um, uh, but then it tips into mania Mm -hmm. and with that for me personally I get very agitated aggressive enraged Mm. um, risk-taking behaviors the the increase in libido is just becomes real problematic because it's not Mm. just thinking about sex or wanting sex it's this driven need for sex Mm. a lot of people lose relationships and marriages because of that for me also i have hallucinations and paranoia and um yeah often don't sleep or if i do sleep it's like two to four hours a night but often days without sleep and then of course at the other end of it Everything that goes up must come down and crash mm-hmm. with a decent depression. Yeah, and just talking about depression, how does depression manifest for you? For me, uh, my thought processes uh, slow down consider- considerably. Yep, my mouth's not working. <laughs> it's okay. I- it slows down. I sleep. I can sleep for 18 hours straight. Mm-hmm. Only reason I'd wake up is to go the loo. Um and perhaps get a drink you don't eat Um, the body just feels like lead it aches all over I get a pressured pressured head and and, and I describe it as if I was wearing a swimming cap five five times too small Mm -hmm. Uh, it's really a really uncomfortable thing Um, and it's not that um, I'm numb I don't feel anything, mm-hmm. totally devoid of emotion, can't laugh anything, it's not. It's just pointless telling me a joke, I just, there's no reaction. And in the opposite to hypermania, the, the sex drive goes out the door. It's mm. just, there's, it's not that you don't desire, it's just that your body doesn't react to any stimulation mm. at all. So yeah, that's the other end of the equation. Hmm. So bipolar is a lot more complex than just mood swings or even just highs and lows, unlike what modern media might like to tell us. Mixed episodes are also common with people. Um, Could you explain a little bit about what it's like to experience them? Yes, we who experience many mixed episodes get left out in in the description of bipolar. They just Mm. hear about depression and mania. Mm. I spend most of my time now in, in mixed episodes, predominantly an elevated, agitated, mixed state. So I sleep uh, around four hours a night and then may have 
may have a nana nap in the afternoon for one and a half, two hours. Um, I've got heightened energy, but it's agitated energy. So it's mm. it's not, oh, I'm going to achieve this, do this, do that. Um, and I become very snippy, short-tempered, impatient, um, negative because I get the negative thoughts with it. Um, but mixed states is... Is different for everybody. Mm-hmm. It incorporates parts of the the depressive end and parts of the the manic end, uh, and incorporates hallucinations and delusions, uh, which I get. Um, I smell things that aren't there. I have touch sensitive um, hallucinations, and I can also get paranoid in a mixed state as well. Hmm. And just talking about that, that's like another aspect of. Um, the condition as well. Um, how how else does um, hallucinations and paranoia affect you? Paranoia is a really hard one. Um, as I said, over the 16 years, I've managed to build up mm-hmm. uh, a collection of strategies and techniques to be able to identify changes in myself. But paranoia, it's really hard because you get these concerns and you wonder is this a gut instinct or am I being paranoid Mm. and I've been in a situation where I've put it down to paranoia and it was gut instinct Mm -hmm. somebody was doing something really bad so then you find yourself second guessing yourself all the time and it's usually only when others bring it up for you that that you find out that it's it's paranoia but you take a bit of convincing because that is your reality yeah. The same with delusions. You know, if I told you I was the Queen Mother and you said, no, you're not. Well, for me, that's real. It's very real. I'm the mm-hmm. Queen Mother. So trying to argue against me is pointless, mm-hmm. absolutely pointless, because this is my reality. Um, and hallucinations, um, yeah, I don't, except for the touch one. Uh, I don't know that that's what I'm having until I ask a question. So for me, the olfactory or smell hallucination is I smell shit. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice if it was something like, you know, perfume or potpourri yeah. or something like that. No mm. shit. If only they didn't If only they didn't happen that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I will be standing there I'll I'll go somewhere and I can smell it and I'll go to another room I can smell it I'll go out and hop in the car and I can smell it Mm. Uh, I'll be somewhere where there's other people and I'll say can you smell that Mm. and they'll say no what and I'm like oh and my strategy is I've got a migraine stick which is just a combination of lavender and peppermint oil and I put it on the end of my nose to overpower the smell Mm -hmm. A bit doesn't take it away, but just makes it easier to live with. But um, yeah, so so hallucinations can impact you. But um, with my touch one, it's like little mites are all over my skin, mm-hmm. biting me. I become itchy. My skin reacts as if I'm being bitten, coming up in little lumps everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and trial and error, uh, I found that tea tree oil lotion helps take the itch out of it. Once I start gouging, because I won't know at the start that I'm doing it, and once I usually draw blood, I realise and do something about it. 
then and and then I can can work with it. I'm just very glad that I don't, along with that, have the vis- visual hallucination because mm. I know people who at the same time as getting the tactile of being bitten by mites and bugs and things like that, they actually see it at the same time, which I think would yeah. be really terrifying. But that's mm. their reality at the time. Yeah, and mm. it definitely sounds really intense as well. And it, like you're like just speaking to you, you're so incredibly brave. Mm. Thank you. That's okay. Yeah. Um, so do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about what daily life sort of looks for you with your illness? Okay. So when I'm depressed, I can't get out of bed. Mm. I am petrified and overwhelmed by the prospect of getting out of bed. Uh, I can't cope if anybody puts any expectations on me, and that is they might talk to me. Expecting Mm -hmm. a response is too high high an expectation. And you're just lifeless, totally lifeless. There's You can't see any way forward. And then on the other hand, when I'm manic, my when I was 24 and I was manic, I was a gym junkie at the time, I would get up at 6 o'clock and do a one-hour high-impact aerobic video, get the kids up at 7, get them ready for school and kinder, ride with them to school and kinder, then ride five kilometres to the gym, mm-hmm. do a high-impact, then a low-impact workout in aerobics, then do an hour and a half in the gym, then ride back home, do all my housework, get the kids from school and kinder, do what I had to do with them, get tea, put them to bed, so on and so forth, and then do another hour of high-impact aerobics while drinking copious amounts of wine Mm. to slow me down enough to get to sleep for a few hours. Mm. I I don't promote drinking as as self-medicating or drugs, but mm. before we are diagnosed, that's what a lot of us do. We self-medicate. Yeah. So these days, it's I fluctuate between probably over a couple of weeks, um, having maybe three days of no sleep. Most nights is about four hours sleep. Um, probably in that time, a half, half a dozen nana naps. Um, agitated. <sighs> I don't like myself when I'm like this. You know, Mm. I really feel for my family. But because I'm so open with them, I've taught them to be very open with me. Mm. And even if I might become agitated and defensive, please tell me what you're observing Mm -hmm. because I can't work with it if you don't give me something to work with. Um, So I'm very much guided by my family and they do monitor me very closely sometimes. It's a little bit stifling, but Mm -hmm. I invited them to do that. Yeah, and it's probably helpful to have that sort of feedback as well, like to learn things about yourself from other people's views. Mm -hmm. Yes, and the other thing for that is mood diaries or mood tracking. Mm -hmm. Um, Being as old as I am, I still use the paper-based mood diaries. Mm. And in the early days, that was a big way that I I, uh, learned about how bipolar manifested in me. And it helped me to identify triggers and then led to me looking and exploring for strategies and techniques. Um, So, yeah, there's a big, big learning curve there in the early days with things like that. Mm-hmm. So what have been some of the most challenging issues you've faced as a result of your illness? 
I'll start with, <clears throat> I read recently that 93% of people with a mental illness are not violent. In actual fact, people with a mental illness are more inclined to be victims of violence mm -hmm. because we're vulnerable. One of the main things that led me to going and getting diagnosed, insisting on seeing a psychiatrist, was because I had become violent. Mm -hmm. um, I was scared for my family. I was scared of myself. Mm -hmm. I was scared of what I might do to an innocent person just in the street. If you looked at me wrong because I was paranoid, what might I do? Um, so I, I went out and I got, I got diagnosed and, um, yeah, it made the, all of the wealth of difference. Hmm. Yeah, and I think no one really talks about it because even when I got diagnosed with depression, um, like one of the symptoms was I was so angry all the time and I'd become very violent at home and like I wouldn't know what's going wrong and everyone was just kind of like pushing it off. Like yeah. it's not like a real like symptom. Like you, like you're supposed to be a victim, not like, yeah. I don't know, in a way they call like the perpetrator of violence. It's yeah. ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. And, and for me, it was a little bit harder in that my my mother hadn't been totally open with me. Mm -hmm. My daughter also has bipolar. She's fifth generation bipolar sufferer. Oh, really? And we can only go back five generations because my great-grandfather came out from Germany and we, we don't know prior to mm -hmm. him oh. the um, whether it continued back. Uh, I always knew my grandmother had depression, Um but when I demanded to see a psychiatrist, my mum said to me, well, you know, your nan did have manic depression. I said, what? You've only ever told me she had depression. Mm. Um, and I knew this. Um, and she told me this because my grandmother took the life, her own life and the life of her 18-month-old son. So my mum hadn't been forthcoming because it was really painful area to to sort of bring out hmm. into hmm. the light yeah. yeah so that that sort of sounds like a big turning point in your recovery getting diagnosed and sort of finally facing everything that your life had sort of been up to up to that point were there any other big turning points um well, one of the medications was a big turning point for me. Uh, apparently it takes an average of eight years for somebody with bipolar to find the right medication mix. Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful that it only took me five. Mm -hmm. So that was a big, that made an enormous change. And even though I, my stable was slightly on the depressive side, it wasn't anywhere near as what I used to experience. So I was mm -hmm. very happy. Um... Some of the other things that, that um, made big changes was getting involved in the advocacy, getting uh, a voice out there. I also um, established and ran the Melton Depression and Bipolar Support Group for four years and uh, it actually continued on another three after I left Melton. And that was so rewarding to see that we could bring people together and we could give that s support and most importantly that lived experience peer support. Mm. So do you think peer support's been one of the big coping strategies like for you 
Definitely. your story out and even learning about other people's stories as well. Yes. I've spoken with, over the 15 years that I've been uh, doing peer advocacy, I've spoken with hundreds and hundreds of people uh, with lived experience of mental illness and carers and even um, survivors of, of suicide, the families of somebody mm. who's lost. And... Um, Every day I learn something new. In hmm. talking about like coping strategies and techniques, um, what has been the most effective for you in your recovery? Being open to having it raised with me that I'm exhibiting inappropriate behaviours or um, speech patterns or whatever. Um, and also learning that when I am well, explain to my family what it is I need in the different points when I'm unwell. Because mm -hmm. often what we present to everybody else is very different to what we need. Mm -hmm. um, for example, when I'm really depressed, I withdraw. All I want is to be held and made to feel loved and safe and secure mm -hmm. uh, and not like I'm a burden. And because I verbalised that to my husband, now when I'm like that, he'll come and do that. He knows I'm not up to talking. And more often than not, when I'm depressed, there's not a trigger. Mm. It just is. It's part of bipolar. So there's nothing to talk about. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, what do you think? Uh, some of the most stigmatised aspects or symptoms of bipolar? You mentioned earlier the violence and everything. Yeah. yeah. Violence is a big one. That really, really concerns me, what I, I see, you know, on on the news, on the TV, in films, uh, in newspapers. It's just whenever something violent happens, there seems to be this automatic link to mental illness. Mm -hmm. um, and even I think um, the other day there was there was a, a court hearing where somebody was claiming mental illness was the cause but had no history of it. It was being used as a means to try and get off uh, mm. a charge, you know, and that really disappoints me. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, this this overwhelming belief that we are violent um, is it's really disappointing. Mm. So, what advice would you give to people who are struggling on their path of recovery? Um, oh dear, where would I start? Get to know how your illness manifests itself in you. Learn your triggers. Trial new coping strategies and techniques. You'll get told a lot of them, this will work for you, but not necessarily true, as we well know, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. Um, and, um, yeah, trial as many you can until you find something that works for you. There's going to be things that, that doesn't work. And remember, it's an illness. It's not you. It's not your personality. You are a person. The illness is secondary. Mm -hmm. mm. So you write a lot on your website, thisismyreality.com.au, which we'll put a link to on our podcast page. Thank you. Um, you seem to have a desire to educate and support others with bipolar. Why is this so important to you? 
I just felt so alone when I was diagnosed. I rang around 21 places to try and find support for me when I was diagnosed and couldn't get it until I got to Vimiac mm. and they gave me the details of the whole two bipolar support groups in Victoria at that time mm -hmm. and both of them were over an hour and a half away from me. I just didn't want people to feel like that before and I thought if I'm reaching out, there's got to be others in my area that are. So I put up some um, some flyers. Are you interested in, you know, do you have bipolar? Are you interested in being part of a peer support group? Mm -hmm. And um, I was overwhelmed. Oh, really? Yeah, on the, on the introductory night, just to see what people expected from it and wanted to happen, I had 27 people there. Oh, that's amazing. And I was like, this is such a small place. Mm. But, um, yeah, it was really popular. And so I established the support group and away we went. And I did that when I went to Geelong. And now I've just since November started running a new bipolar support group in Geelong. That's incredible. Yeah. So those wishing to participate um, in World Bipolar Day, World Bipolar Day, were encouraged to use social media in the hashtag My, Bo my Bipolar Fuels My Passion For. Um, what does bipolar fuel your passion for? Information sharing, yeah. destigmatizing, giving people a voice and encouraging people to use their voice. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. A yeah. lot of people sit back and say, well, I can't believe you can do that, and I just encourage them. And I've had a few people set up their own support groups and start doing guest speaker positions and whatnot. And, you know, that, that just gives me all the feedback that I need, gives me all the encouragement that I need and the drive that I need to continue doing what I'm doing. Mm, that's wonderful. So thank you so much, Nikki, for coming on the show today and sharing your story for World Bipolar Day. You've been listening to Brainwaves on 3CR. Thank you so much. We'll be back next Wednesday at 5pm for a new episode. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.